It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to episode six of Crazy and the King. Looka, 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 looka. Hey, listen, Julie, um, it's been a couple of weeks and and I don't think we have any nooses to talk about with uh, you. Hold on. You always get ahead of yourself, Torn. I'm positive that this has to be a <laughs> noose-free episode. Like, no hanging nooses anywhere in the contiguous 50 <laughs> Well, be. Chrysler Fiat out of Michigan has disappointed me and is now disappointing you um so what did they same damn thing a noose hanging in their in one of their plants same damn issue and and i was about to say that you know just because we don't have any news stories doesn't mean that we don't have a few suckers among us but you have simply uh changed that so listen this is what we're (laughs) not going to do we're not at all going to give them any shine in terms of their stupidity uh, and so let's just um, let's just keep pushing through. So listen, yeah. what I do want people to understand is um, while we have, of course, some of these suckers still in our workplaces, it is a bit of sarcastic humor. And you should know that under existing case law, one isolated uh, incident is generally not enough to constitute a hostile work environment or racial harassment. And what I'm referring to are the nooses. And so the courts are not as forgiving if a person utters the N-word in the workplace or if they paint a swastika on a wall in a workplace, but there is still room for interpretation and that makes me uncomfortable. So with all that we've been through, so much work has been done, so much work still needs to be done. And so I just want us to, to recognize as listeners and as we tell other people to listen to Crazy and the King, uh, we cannot ignore the responsibility and the need for us to be attentive, intentional, and vigilant about how we protect and curate workplaces that are inviting and that all individuals belong. So that being said, fuck the news story. The rest of the episode is news free. How about that? All right, let's do it. All right. So so where are we starting off, Torin, today? I know that we got this first article from uh, a friend of of ours and a listener, Josh Aker. So um, some quick love to him for sharing this story with us. But you want to tell us a little bit more about uh, the Lyft and and IPO? You know, as Lyft, uh, the story uh, is about Lyft speeding toward their IPO. Uh, But unfortunately, they're facing a federal lawsuit right now for disability discrimination. And the gist of the story is, you know, that their app is not able to handle the transportation needs or the transportation support of people with disabilities. And and so why I think that's extremely important is as we look at, you know, organizations, companies like Uber and Lyft and so many others that are out there, it, it needs to be something that they are taking into account, like Zencar and just so many others that are, are out there. I, I think that they should be thinking about how do they support, how do they bring about uh, providers, uh, you know, 
that can service that particular aspect of our community. It's extremely important because the bottom line is they need to get around just like you and I do. Yeah, I think this is an interesting story. I think my take on it is it's the same, but it's a little bit more, um, it's nuanced in a different way than yours, Torin. Tell me why. So in this case in particular, it's based out of San Francisco, the same advocacy group and pair of community-based organizations have sued, um, I believe, both Lyft and Uber in the San Francisco area for not being able to provide paratransit. So that's this is specifically for people in wheelchairs. And the, there are paratransit options that do exist in San Francisco. Um, there's a there's an app even for like the, the municipal kind of BART system and everything that can buy tickets. You can get transportation for a, a pretty reasonable cost when I looked at it yesterday, like about $2.50 per trip. And, and so there are definitely some options in the city. And there are probably at least a dozen um, that are listed kind of on the Google search if you just take it at, at its face value. But I think what's really important here for our listeners to understand is that this is also about the convenience of a Lyft and Uber and bringing people with disabilities into that world where a person that doesn't have mobility issues like I do, who doesn't use a wheelchair, can get a lift at any time of the day or the night and do what we want to do and live a full inclusive life. But, you know, this is really, it's like a problem solver story, right? This, it's like, I wanted to call Lyft and Uber this morning and say, this, this is something that we can fix. It takes planning and it takes a lot of beta testing to do it. But what I would rather see than, than a lawsuit, and I, I don't know if Uber and Lyft have been responsive. I don't know kind of that back into the story. So, I, you know, I can't speak to it, but I would really have rather seen these groups that are suing Uber and Lyft come forward and say, let's put together a public-private partnership in the city of San Francisco and beta test how do we make a service like an Uber or Lyft more accessible, more impactful to a person that needs paratransit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that, you know, Uber Wave is uh, an option, Um so both of them have options, options. for those that uh, require that type of support. I think the problem is that they have not made enough vehicles uh, available. And I don't know if they're necessarily doing a great job uh, of marketing the fact that Uber Wave and that Lyft and maybe a few of the others have these options. And so, like you said, Julie, I do believe that the sides can sit down with one another and they can, you know, work on making a better messaging. I'm sorry, work on putting together a better messaging uh, solution uh, that hits the general public, reminding people that the options are still there. I also think that this is a great, great place for organizations like Migo to come in or apps like mm-hmm. Migo, M-I-G-O, to, to add solutions that are there for those that need paratransit uh, solutions. So yeah. I, again, the lawsuit is one thing. The remedy is what's more important for me. And people like, um, you know, some of those that are involved in the lawsuit are saying that really where it's supposed to be easier, they've actually made it a bit more difficult. They've made the wait to be a bit more long. Uh, and so we, we just need to make sure that, you know, folks with a 
uh, a wheelchair are able to move around. I remember Carmen, yeah. Carmen, and you, you were friends yeah. with Carmen as well. I remember Carmen was actually on a business trip and Carmen had actually uh, put up on Facebook. She was extremely happy. I think she was in Chicago uh, and her, her it was Chicago or Austin and her trip was in, amazing because, you know, she just didn't have to wait a long time. So again, we yeah. mentioned the story because we're not trying to, uh, uh, you know, shun either organization. We're simply encouraging them that, you know, sit down, you guys get at a coffee table. Able, sit down and come up with a solution because we want to be able to service the individuals uh, in that population, that demographic, just the same way that the rest of us are being serviced. Yeah. Well, and, and there, I mean, there's a, there's a business case and I do this for a living, right? When we're helping to get companies to hire people with disabilities, when we're working with our community-based partners, transportation, regardless of mobility is an issue all of the time when we're talking about getting people with disabilities to work in a consistent manner. And I have reached out to Uber, I've reached out to Lyft to try to say, hey, can we get something going here that's going to make sense and not even really as nuanced or complex as paratransit, but just available drivers. And at this point, I don't think Uber or Lyft are going into IPO as, or you know, they don't exist as really profitable companies at this point. So I know that there are overhead issues that they're thinking about and they don't control who's available with their drivers. But I also know that there are tons of, of wave vehicles that are sitting unused with community-based organizations during the day, overnight periods that really could be utilized and integrated into a system and a solution with a company like Uber or Lyft who really want to be forward thinking. They're going to be providing jobs and extra money into nonprofit organizations. They're going to create systems where people can get to work. They can get to their medical appointments. They can get to their friends and the fun things that they want to do in life. And that transportation isn't an issue, but they haven't embraced it as a business opportunity. They're still really focusing it on as just Put a solution on there, throw in a wheelchair accessible, you know, feature on that the website, but they can't deliver on that solution. So it's just been so short sighted on, on their part. So if I, you know, can bitch at them a little bit after I've complained about the the litigant, um, is that you if you can't fulfill the solution, you can't fulfill the solution. There are other options available in the city. If you want to take advantage and leverage the spending power of people with disabilities and the brand power that comes with marketing and, and being able to fulfill something or a service in, in our world, then take the time to do it right. You know, beta test it, build a really great solution. You've got Salesforce there. You've got the BART in San Francisco. That's fantastic public, public transportation. You've got hundreds of community-based provider organizations that have access to, to wave vehicles and fucking figure it out. Like, this is fixable. This is like one of those stories I just want to be like, just hire me. I can fix this for you. I have a job and I love it. But you know what I mean? I do. I absolutely do. Uh, and so, of course, with internal contacts at Uber, I don't really have them at Lyft. Uh, my hope is that the sides will get together, um, you know, with appropriate community groups and other uh, enterprising entrepreneurs and big thinkers and you know, come forth with a positive and powerful uh, solution. What's going on with Facebook, man? And before we wrap up this story, I do want to give just a little bit of love to Jay-Z, the, the VP of marketing over at Smashfly. He shared this super cool um, video series from Google 
um, with me called Rolling On, and it's just about um, people who have different accessibility needs moving through different cities around the world. Um, it's it's actually a little bit older of a series, and I didn't even know about it, um, but it actually gives just kind of the everyday Joe who doesn't use a wheelchair a much better idea of what it's like to feel when you can't get into a restaurant, when you can't get into public transportation, you can't be a part of kind of that everyday society and feel how segregated it is for people with disabilities who don't have access to basic ADA kind of, of stuff. So I'm going to share that, but thanks to Jay-Z for sharing that. And, and yeah, so <laughs> Facebook, let's, let's talk about Facebook. And yeah, you know, and again, I know you're going to, you know, drive the story, but this is something that has been, you know, present with Facebook over the last several years. Yeah. Um, but go ahead, take it away. Yeah. So, and you're absolutely right. This is, this has been a story that's building on itself, but this week Facebook reacted as Facebook generally does. So a couple of years ago, Facebook got sued because advertisers are using Facebook to to use their micro-targeting tools to exclude profiles based on ethnicity, disability, zip code, gender, age. And those are especially related or especially impactful when we're talking about housing, credit, and of course, our passion, which is employment. And so this week announced that they were stripping out thousands of micro-targeting terms and will strip out more specifically so they cannot be used for housing, credit, or employment ad targeting. So, which is good uh, because, again, the first time that I remembered it, uh, or shall I say uh, recall uh, interfacing, interacting with it, it was the ability of people to, you know, segregate, if you will, or uh, discriminate against um, certain gender or certain ethnicity or other categories. And so I'm happy that they're doing that. I'm happy that they are doing that even more. They are 10xing it. They are 3xing, 5xing, 10xing the ability to take or taking that ability away from uh, advertisers. So I'm absolutely appreciative of that. And quite frankly, Facebook needs to do a better job. All of the big platforms need to do a better, better job of how they are attacking these individuals that are attacking groups of people. Yeah. Okay. So I think this might be like our first like hardcore disagreement on Crazy and the King. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that Facebook kind of wants to have have it all, right? They want to have all of our advertising dollars. They want to have all of our data. They have all of our data and they have a vast majority of our advertising dollars. But instead of sitting down again and actually fixing a problem, educating advertisers, policing content, they have this fucking knee-jerk reaction and they pull out the opportunity for, and I'll, I'll speak to employment specifically, for employers to target applicants that they want to drive in. No, we don't want to have exclusion. We don't want to have people who are employers who are saying, no, we only want to target white people in this demographic. That's not right. That's an education and that's a content piece. But to just strip away the tool when Facebook owns all of the data for us to really be able to get to those job seekers that need to find us and that we want to get to, whether we're a huge company who's, you know, under OFCCP regulations, who's using this as a, a targeted marketing and outreach effort that is part of their requirements, or if it's a small company like ours, Disability Solutions uses Facebook advertising every single day to target job seekers with disabilities who we want to connect with the companies that we work with. And that option just went away. 
So not only did Facebook screw the little guy and take away a lot of opportunity for job seekers who are looking for jobs to get that micro targeting, they just did it with this sort of flip of the wrist or flip of the switch and said, hey, you just can't do this anymore. Instead of us actually owning and managing the bad actors that we all know are on our platform. We're going to pretend like it doesn't exist for a long time. Someone's going to sue us. We're going to say we did it wrong. And then we're just going to take it away. Why the fuck? Why aren't they using their power for good? They own all of our data. They absolutely own it. And then they just want to have these kind of knee jerk reactions to things instead of actually sitting down and managing the monster that they have built and want to have completely unregulated. Yeah, but that monster includes them having to go in and change some of the legality around that. And so it's not so much so just simply controlling and putting in place uh, what makes sense, because I absolutely agree with you that we should be able to target ads according to who we feel is underrepresented uh, in a particular workplace. Speaking specifically from the workplace piece, not a housing or selling automobiles or jumpsuits (laughs) and cowboy boots and any of that stuff. I'm talking specifically as it relates to the workplace. I 1000% agree with you, but what I don't believe Facebook has done and or uh, sees as a viable path uh, is sitting down and changing some of that EEOC uh, regulation uh, that exists. And I remember vividly, I won't go into the detail here, but I most certainly remember vividly losing a very, very, very lucrative opportunity because of using the wrong word uh, back in 2011. And so uh, there are folks out there that are lingering in the wind. They are waiting in the shadow uh, for you to say or do something. And in this litigious market or climate that we're in, uh, they will use that uh, against Facebook. And so I believe Facebook, you know, again, they may have taken the easy route, um, but I'd rather for them to take the easy route and not discriminate and uh, exclude or give people the latitude to exclude and then take the time to try to figure out how can we bring this back. So I'm hoping that they are in the posture of simply review and perhaps bring back later. Yeah, I don't I, I don't see Facebook ever being proactive. I mean, even while I was reading an article, it's on The Washington Post. And so they're stripping out all of these micro targeting options. And in the same article, they have people from Facebook talking about how they're about to start a housing initiative so that you can send out your rentals and your options to, you know, purchase homes and, and all of that as a separate program on Facebook. So we've got the jobs initiative, we've got the the housing and the rental market that's going to start up, marketplace that's going to start up in Facebook, but they're not taking it seriously in terms of creating a viable product that is inclusive, that does allow the end user, who's me, looking for housing, looking for employment, who has a disability to find an option that fits in for them or for myself or any of us. They're just taking it all away as, as kind of this blunt instrument They've got all the data. They should be able to provide us these tools that we can use to kind of create a market that creates more inclusion. Again, they've got all of the data. I don't want to change EEO rules. I don't like those rules are there for a reason. Facebook doesn't want to manage any of the actors on their platform. They just want to be the platform and let it run free. And I think that we've seen 
more than just in this situation. And we've talked about Facebook like several times. They don't they just don't manage their shit. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, I think we just disagree on that part because they have content moderators that are managing the the upload of content. I'm sure they have a team of people that are looking at the not not. Yeah, I mean, we know that. So they are I, I believe that they're doing it. I think part of the challenge is that, again, this is a business that is continuing to be challenged in 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 terms of change. This is a business that will continue to to have to stare down that change. Like, how do we morph? How do we what is it that we're we're missing. You know, we see how people are using, as you have eloquently stated, we see how people are using our platform. So what are we missing? 12, 18 months from now, from a talent mapping standpoint, what talent are we missing? What what do we need to have in place? And so, you know, again, I just think that they they they've watched it. They've watched people abuse the advertising space. They've watched people you know, intentionally discriminate against individuals in so many different ways. Yeah, I think it's easy to just say, look, forget it. I'm going to pull it out. I'm not going to give you the option to exploit this. And let me figure out a better way to do it. And so, again, my fingers are crossed hoping that they figure out a better way to do it, whether it be some marry of of human uh, intelligence and technical uh, prowess. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking that that's probably the best solution to rely only on human too costly, too much uh, room for error to rely only on technology. There's no empathy. There's no humanity in it. And so, you know, they miss the nuance. Technology can miss the nuance. And so I just think that they are right now in the posture of how do we bridge the gap between that human intelligence and that technical process. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think you have a little more faith in Facebook than I do. Um, but let's put a pin in this story and let's come back to it in 18 months and see, like, are they doing any better or are they just taking more of our marketing dollars and throwing them at the wall? You, you know good and well, you two end it 18 <laughs> you months. Said it. <laughs> They'll make changes before the summer. So we'll, we'll look at Facebook probably in June unless they do something big in terms of news. But let me tell you, okay. I want to you know, quickly about, and I won't, I won't even really go heavy in this, but I just think it's an appropriate time based on where we are in terms of uh, our show. This is episode number six. We've talked about a number of stories. We've shown uh, some bad actors. We've certainly highlighted some very good folks. Uh, but I just want to remind people that, you know, for organizations, really, it's around the, the optimization of your diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging efforts. It's really around the optimization of those efforts. And I personally believe and my team believes that success is really based on a dual approach one that marries that quantitative and that qualitative aspect and that you don't need to operate in a silo, just focus on the number, the number, the number. If you do that, I think you do that to your own peril. You know, we've seen a number of technology reports in tech companies and others, you know, the lack of diversity or the percentage of diversity, or we hired five people and, you know, now we want some ribbon and some confetti. Nah, man, let's let's work at let's look at marrying that, you know, that business methodology along with the the uh, social impact. And so for me, Julie, the team really is determined that, you know, the best results are unlocked when, you know, the DEI and the belonging is pursued as a business methodology rather than individually. And when I say individually, I'm speaking diversity, the equity or the inclusion or primarily as an administrative piece. When I say administrative, I mean EEOC or legal. Or for some of those out there that are just building their 
um, their strategies around a social imperative. When I say social, I mean press release or a tax benefit. And so I want people this week when you're listening to our episode, just think about your supplier diversity programs uh, as one of the value points inside of the business. And real quick, there are a number of ways that supplier diversity works. You can look at banks, contractors, food service providers, electricians. You can look at attorneys, uh, entertainment that you are bringing in for various corporate functions. There are so many different ways that you can bring suppliers into your organizations. You have transportation companies, event planners, you have just a number of, of organizations. And when you think about having a comprehensive diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy, supplier diversity is extremely important. I'm highlighting Comcast. They've spent about $18 billion with what they categorize as diverse suppliers since uh, 2011. And just a number of organizations are out there to help you all in your organization, small, medium, or large. There are a number of organizations. You have the Billion Dollar Roundtable. You have the National Minority Supplier Development Council. You have the Women's Business Enterprise National Council. And you have certainly a number of local chambers of commerce, Hispanic, Black, Asian, and others. So as we are out and about doing what we do, Julie and I, it's not just about people with disabilities or African-Americans or Latin. It's about who do you do business with? And so I just want to remind people, continue to expand the definition of who you do business with. I, I got I got you torn. I'll tell you, supplier diversity is not really my my thing. So I, I just want to say to reiterate, I think better is what you said at the beginning. This is about diversifying how you impact diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I I think that for especially for people with disabilities, I've seen a lot of companies go to this. Well, we're doing a supplier diversity model, and we're really interested in engaging entrepreneurs and small businesses that are owned by um, people with disabilities, and that's great. But it's not a substitute. It's just a another avenue to engage our community as well as hiring. It's not an excuse not to hire. It's not a reason for you not to have that in, internal to your own your own DNI strategy. We've seen that happen a lot in my community. We're like, oh yeah, we're doing di- supplier diversity. Oh, or we're hiring through this temp agency. And I just I think that you're spot on. We need to be promoting supplier diversity, but we also need to say it's not an excuse to get out of hiring. Absolutely. So I will say that, um, you know, what we want to do is be fair. And we actually talked about Gucci and the misstep that they had uh, about four, five weeks ago. And Julie, you found uh, an update because we do know we've already mentioned that they put a four or five point plan in place, but they've actually elaborated on that and they've named some some game changers. Who are they? Yeah. So they brought in Dapper Dan, um, who was a designer out of Harlem, uh, DeRay McKesson. Yep, everybody knows Dapper Dan. You I don't might know, not Dapper know Dapper Dan. Dan. <laughs> Listen, let's just pretend we're not recording, and I don't want people to know <laughs> that Indiana didn't know Dapper Dan. It's cool. Not that cool. Get to the wall okay. where they know, and you oh, know too. I know DeRay McKesson, who I absolutely Boom, love. I'm obsessed with him. Uh, Will I am, and and some other activists um, were named. To members yeah. of the Change Makers Council, yeah. a board that will basically se- select the components of the inclusion programming that Gucci is putting together in response to their 
blackface sweater controversy a couple of months ago. Uh, Based on what we were able to uncover, they're setting up a $5 million fund that's going to invest in community-based nonprofits that are helping communities of color throughout the United States. I don't know if they're going to do this work internationally, uh, if they're going to primarily concentrate on the uh, United States. And in addition, they have a scholarship fund that's going to give away several thousands of dollars over the course of years to selected students, all of which is good. I like yes. all of that. Now, here's my question to you. How do you feel about it, Julie? Eh, I, I don't I, I mean, I feel like all these things are good things. Absolutely. But getting together a board of celebrities to to pimp it out for you doesn't feel very genuine. And it certainly doesn't feel like it's really focused on what Gucci's problem was, which was having an inclusive design team so that you avoid the problem of the blackface sweater in the first place. So it feels more like a Band-Aid than anything. I'm always happy to see money go into the community, but I would rather have seen more of that money go into getting designers of, of diverse backgrounds into positions in fashion. So these things stop happening and the the kids who are seeing these designers come up have inspiration and and aspiration to work at that level of of a design house because they see other designers already doing it. And I don't feel like that hits the bill. And let me just say that for me, I agree with you, everything that you've said. And again, I I also will go to the the position of we have to start earlier. And so inside of a lot of underserved and under-resourced communities, you know, you often hear people say the, the children don't have anything to do after school or Uh, There are no rec centers in the community. And so the fact that Gucci is going to get inside of some of these communities uh, and to begin to put programming in place, to put safe spaces in place, uh, to provide them with activities and ambition and to uh, put inspiration and aspiration in front of them. I absolutely applaud that. And sometimes it takes the uh, the uh, entertainers to come out. I don't necessarily feel Dapper Dan, Will I Am, or Angela Davis and any others that they mention are going to be the ones that uh, necessarily help with the internal fix that is necessary. So I'm giving giving them a an applause for effort right here at this <laughs> level. But I'm listen, I am absolutely waiting to see what are you doing about your executive leadership team, your hiring practices, uh, your um, uh, current design team. What are you doing absolutely right now? Because there are deserving black and brown designers that are out there yep. that should be hired inside of Gucci tomorrow. I should have said today, but I'll say tomorrow. So <laughs> we will definitely keep our eye out on what Gucci is doing. And I will say to close this story that I have reached out to two individuals inside of Gucci. Now, them jokers have not responded to me yet, but I'm being kind and I'm reaching out (laughs) because I want to hear. I'm I'm not doing it selfishly. I just want to hear what are we doing as it relates to today. So we'll keep our eye on them. Right on. Right on. We got a couple of name drops. Let's do it. Name drops. All right. So... I'm going to stop or start name drops this week, which is new. We don't need Chad and Cheese shout outs. We have our own Crazy and the King name drops. We do. So (laughs) first one this week is to my team at at Disability Solutions and to my uh, leader, Chris Foss. We were featured in Industry Week. Uh, dot com just last week to talk about the programs that we've been helping amazing companies like Pepsi and Synchrony Financial and American Express and others build that have resulted 
interested in over 2,000 people with disabilities getting hired into forward-thinking, smart companies. So super props to my team at Disability Solutions and all of the work that they're doing. Uh, Keep it up, guys. And my second shout-out is going to be super weird, but I had this freaking awesome interaction last week on Twitter with an activist named Amani Barberin. And she started this hashtag called Abled's Are Weird. And it was so fantastic because it was just all of these people with disabilities that are active on Twitter talking about their interactions and the oddities of those interactions and sometimes the scariness of those interactions when people without disabilities think that they need to engage people with visible disabilities or people who are talking about their disabilities in a way that's just sort of mind-blowing. So if you want a good education on what not to do, um, check out the hashtag abled's are weird and follow Amani on Twitter. I'll, I'll put her handle on our, our site this week. Awesome. So my name drops are uh, Cam's Coffee Creations for the good people down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Cam's Coffee Creations actually hires and empowers individuals with developmental and intellectual disabilities. Sure. I think uh, Cam is 11. He's like, he's mm-hmm. under 15 he's years of age. Yeah, handsome little king. And uh, I appreciate what he is doing. I appreciate the support that he's receiving from his family and friends and certainly the Winston Salem community. And for those of you who are listening across the country, support the organization. Go in, uh, go online, buy a t-shirt, buy some coffee, camscoffeecreations.com. Search and shop for some of the merchandise. The last uh, name drop that I want to do is, uh, I believe on the 27th, uh, a Runway of Dreams event is taking place. Zappos is doing an adaptive fashion event. So tune in on uh, March 27th, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to their live stream. Uh, We'll put the link on the uh, feed for the show. Uh, But if you want to Google it and find it yourself, Look for Runway of Dreams by Zappos. All right, Julie, what you got? So, yeah, quick shout out to our friend Carmen Jones, who I know is going to be at that show tonight and has been working with them on uh, pieces of this project. And I absolutely love it. So what's up for me for the next couple of weeks? Um, Right now, I am just getting ready to head home from Stanford, Connecticut, where we've done our regional best practices meeting on disability and inclusion in the workforce, which has been phenomenal. It was hosted by one of our partner companies, Synchrony Synchrony Financial. Um, Absolutely fantastic. Next week, I'll be back in Connecticut for some team strategy building and then off to the National Diversity Council's annual conference in Dallas, Texas, which I'm so pumped about, not only because we're going to be exhibiting for Disability Solutions, but because President Obama is going to be doing the keynote. So I'm wearing my... um, waterproof makeup that day, I promise. (laughs) And then in a couple weeks, I'm also going to be at the TA Tech Leadership for Recruitment Marketing that's actually sponsored by Smashfly and and TA Tech. So I'm super pumped up about that. I think it's going to be such a great conference just to attend and, and learn a lot about more recruitment marketing strategies and how we can use them to better target 
people with disabilities and, and other groups that we're reaching out to so that people can get hired in the companies we work with. What about you, Tor? Absolutely. So uh, this Sunday, catch me uh, on Sirius XM Channel 126, where I speak with uh, Mr. Gene Wadi about uh, starting his business. He's got an incredible story. He's built nearly a $500, $600 million company in the last, I want to say, 14 years or so. Uh, so I appreciate the work that he and his team are doing up there in New Jersey, servicing customers all across the country. I actually inch a, a, a little bit closer to my presentation in Nashville, uh, Tennessee with nice. Sherm, and I'm going to definitely uh, start my session by asking people if they're familiar with the hashtag Fix It Sherm started by Victorio. Uh, I want to see if they know what's going on. I'm not a member of Sherm, and so I, I don't necessarily chime in, if you will, but I want to see what the members uh, are saying. And uh, next uh, Thursday, the 4th, I'm going to be doing a um, Trends in Diversity, Disability, and Inclusion webinar. Uh, I'll make sure that I put that up on all of my social media. So if you're not following me, follow me on social media at Torin Ellis. Again, social media at Torin Ellis. Make sure you make that happen. And last but not least, uh, we're going to be rocking a keynote at the Yellow, Y-E-L-L-O event in Chicago on May 1st. We got a couple more pods before then. I will remind you to grab your ticket, but do know that I do all of this work in love. And I close because we ghost. See ya. Thanks for listening to Crazy in the King podcast. I'm Julie Sowash, your co-host with Torin Ellis. Follow us on social media as Torin Ellis or Julie Sowash. And also follow our hashtag, Crazy and the King. This episode was produced by my gorgeous husband, Chad Sowash. And our music is by DJ Sells, straight out of Baltimore. You can find Crazy and the King wherever you find your podcasts. Please rate us. And if you like it, share it with a friend. We'll see you soon. You've got questions. We've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.